Hi there, and welcome back to Cyburst, a podcast about science, popular culture, and entertainment. We are your hosts, Ella and Isabel, two science communicators and sci-fi nerds steering this spaceship into the multiverse of science fun. Today's episode, what is it, Ella? What is it? <gasps> solar punk! Solar punk! Radical sustainability, hopeful futures, and our final episode of this season. Of season one, no way. As always, we are going to start this episode, our final one of season one, by jumping into some recommendations. But before that, it's really important, as always, that we acknowledge that this episode of Cybers is being recorded on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. Indigenous Australians are the first scientists and artists, and we'd like to pay our respects to Elders past, present, emerging and future. Culture snap. Culture snap time. The last one for a while. That's so crazy, but don't worry, everybody. We will be back. Season one is not the end of Cyburst. It is the beginning of something brand new. True, true. And with that, my culture snap is something... um, radical that actually has been around for a while and that is the world solar challenge Mm. so i've just come back from um this challenge it was absolutely fantastic uh essentially it is a challenge to race solar cars three thousand kilometers through the center of australia from darwin to adelaide um it's so fantastic it promotes um sustainable technologies through engagement with the challenge of these novel um, innovations um, and it's super super great for community building um, because you need a really good community to get through this challenge um, so I've just competed with the ANU solar racing team I'm really really proud of all we've done um, and I'm actually feeling super positive hopeful optimistic towards not only their future but also the future of communities building sustainable technologies afterwards so I'm so stoked to be able to talk about it in today's culture snap yeah what you guys have done is incredible and I just want to point out that this is not a month-long project or a 12-month-long project this is years in the works to get from nothing to having a full solar car that you can race across Australia it's pretty it's pretty solar punk if I do say Mm, so myself it is so my culture snap is not solar punk but that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's something I actually watched today. Oh, brand new. So it's a new YouTube video titled 4.5 billion years in one hour by, I hope I'm saying this right, Kurzgesagt? Yeah, Kurzgesagt. Kurzgesagt, yes. Okay. That's, I love them. They're amazing. No YouTuber, yeah. So it shows, the video shows the complete timeline of Earth's history in an animated movie by going through each geological period. It's a fantastic animation um, that shows how our planet's geography and physical landscape changed over time and also how complex life evolved. Whoa. So the animation is designed to give you a sense of how long 4 billion years is, where every second shows about a million years of Earth's evolution. So humans are kind of a tiny blip in it, right? Yeah, so they sort of just chuck it at the end for <laughs> like 10 seconds. <laughs> Less. Not even a second. Not even a second. Yeah, so it's designed to be played 
in the background as well. So you can have it on while you're doing something else um, because it's a very uh, atmospheric style video, um, sort of like how people will put on videos of trains going places in the background. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think what? of a better example than that. But like you know, lo-fi? Oh, no, is that what it's called? No. No. Like the lo-fi girl who's like studying and you put her on so you can do your own study session? I guess so. But it's more some people will have, uh, say, a really long time lapse of a natural landscape or something. It will be, you know, water and a mountain and then birds will occasionally fly past. That kind of vibe. Okay, so the vibe is not much happening but enough that you can pay attention but you don't have to. Yeah, and so it's mainly animation and music and the narrator occasionally pops in to give some interesting facts and insights. Wow, that's such a cool culture snap. Thanks, Mm. Isabel. Should we move into talking about today's topic? I think think we should solar punk oh my goodness what what is it Isabel yeah so this is a topic we've sort of sprinkled a little bit throughout some of our episodes and some of our live talks we've done too. and some of our live talks if you've been lucky to, lucky enough to come to those so today we're going to give a little bit of a intro to it so don't worry, if you've never heard of solar punk before, if the only mentions you have heard of it are us sprinkling it in, we're not going to go from like zero to a hundred real quick. We're going to talk a lot about instances of solar punk that you may have seen before, um, that are coming out, that are really new right now. Um, and it's not going to be all encompassing. So we're just going to, we're just going to, yeah, graze, graze the surface of what solar punk has to offer. Yeah. And we are going to start off by telling you what solar punk is before we talk yes, about of course. it more. <laughs> the most important bit is a definition, right? Yeah. So, so solar punk is uh, an emerging genre of often speculative media. So that includes games, literature, film, art. It's also an aesthetic and really importantly, a movement which is focused on resistance to the everyday dread, pessimism, climate doomerism, and fear of a future dystopia. So ultimately, it's about envisioning and creating a sustainable future interconnected with nature and community. So in Solarpunk, there's a heavy emphasis on inclusivity and the role of community rather than an individual or a quote-unquote chosen one mm. um, ha- to harness sustainable technology and work together to solve global challenges like the climate crisis or human impact on the environment. In particular, historically marginalised communities and the non-human landscape live in harmony in a solar punk world. So I just wanted to quickly break down the word Yeah, yeah. Because I felt that was important too. So the solar part represents sustainability and renewable technology. So things like solar power or wind power. And the punk part represents system breaking and counterculture. So that means things like being post-capitalist, decolonial, so on. Yeah, and when we say that solar punk is often a part of speculative future mm-hmm. or speculative stories, what we mean by that is when 
uh, people have stories where they imagine what the world could be like if we went down a different path or what the world might be like in the future. That's speculation. That's where speculative comes from, just in case you haven't heard that term before as well. Uh, so solopunk really flourishes in those kinds of areas, uh, even though I guess I really hope that we're actually on a solopunk path right now. Um, and I hope today's episode kind of demonstrates a little bit of solopunk already in our lives. Um, but I also want to talk about uh, kind of ideas that grow from solopunk. Uh, so solopunk as a genre is really rooted in this view of a hopeful futuristic world where technology and ecology uh, support and sustain one another. So they make each other better. And in this in this view, they are both technology and ecology are viewed as equals, uh, and they're both thriving, which is yeah really really important to the genre. I also want to talk a bit about the aesthetic because solar car is solar car, <laughs> solar punk. I've spent a long time working on solar car. That's probably going to happen more than once this episode. Um, solar punk is an aesthetic rooted in imagery, uh, often of clean cities. Houses that are surrounded by forests, uh, lots of sprawling communities, and the imagery is really striking with blues and greens as kind of the main colours, supported by white neutrals or yellows kind of in the background and making up the rest of the imagery. Solar punk has sub-aesthetics that draw on genres such as maximalism and even cluttercore, uh, which highlight kind of a focus on reuse um, and items that last. So maximalism, famously kind of interior design trends uh, at the moment where you just kind of cover your house in really bold, striking pieces. So they are really like uh, attention grabbing and eye drawing. Uh, whereas clotical is kind of like having many different, op- like many different things covering a surface. So maximalism is like striking pieces. Clotical is lots of things everywhere. And I think solarpunk uh, has subgenres that often capture little bits of both of that where we look at trying to reduce uh, the need for new things by keeping all your old things and also those old things last so you have them for forever Mm. which is really cool so yeah those are kind of ideas I think you should keep in your head as we describe solar punk I know uh, talking about imagery in an audio format such as a podcast is uh, (laughs) a little bit silly but yeah I think like grounding Grounding our knowledge of solar punk in that is really helpful at the start of this episode. But from here, we're going to talk about examples in pop culture to also draw solar punk from. And these are places where you might have experienced a solar punk world already. And how exciting is that? Mm, indeed. So we're going to start with some fiction where you may have seen solar punk. Worlds. Oh my goodness. And I wanted to start with an example that's probably the most explicitly solar punk fiction that's mainstream at the moment because the author who wrote this was actually commissioned to specifically write solar punk novellas. And they're glorious. I just finished the second one an hour ago. Oh my gosh. I know. It was amazing. <laughs> so so we love these novellas. They are by Becky Chambers and they are part of the Monk and Robot series, currently a duology. I don't know if there's plans to have another book, but I really hope there is. 
We're spoilers too already. Let's be real. They're amazing. <laughs> so the first one is a psalm for a psalm for the wild built. And the second one is a prayer for the crown shy. You've got it. You've got it. Which are just by themselves really wonderful titles. They're just really wonderful. Yeah, they are. So they are solar punk sci-fi novellas that give readers a real hope for the future. They're very sweet and positive and... And they also feel very tangible, which is amazing. Yeah, it's it's funny reading it. You definitely feel like it's a future that is not unreachable. Yeah. Yeah, I literally just got a little excited happiness fly out of me when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really feels like the the future and the speculation that these novellas give is a world that we could achieve and it, honestly I think I'd be really happy there oh yeah and I think it's because what what the author has done is uh the technologies in it don't feel like they're so far out of our reach because they're very similar to what we're using at the moment so in that way it feels like it's closer to what where we could be rather than like too far in the future which is yeah you think oh will that ever really happen <laughs> so the series is set on the fictional moon called Panga, where many years ago the robots achieved a self-awareness and left the factories that they were working in and retreated to the forests and nature. And they've, at the point in time where you start the novellas, they've become the stuff of legends and myths. Robots are essentially like dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That is until one day a robot decides to check in on an unsuspecting human. So this series very much explores both the human and non-human psyches and what a harmonious relationship between humans, environment and technology can look like. The two protagonists are sibling Dex, who is a human teamuk who travels from town to town brewing tea for people and offering spiritual comfort. And the robot Splendid Speckled Moss Cap. The best robot name <laughs> to ever exist. Truly. Who is seeking to answer the question, what do humans need? And the two go on a wonderful, beautiful journey together. It's honestly so heartwarming, the journey they go on together. It's, yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so some of the solar punk features, because I wanted to give some specific things so people could have a better understanding of what solar punk can look like. Mm. Um, some of the specific solar punk features include things like rewilding of the landscape, um, sustainable transportation and housing like Dex's ox bike wagon. So Dex kind of cycles around in this wagon, yeah. which uh, has two floors to it, which is kind of crazy yeah, to think really about. Cool. So the, the top floor is basically just the bedroom mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of like a shrine to sleep in like a really comfy and cosy and warming way. And the bottom level is like tea, chaos, herbs, mm -hmm. gone mad. Um, it's like a tiny house, sustainable tiny house vibe. On wheels. Mm -hmm. uh, it's complete with like camp shower, um, everything you need to live your normal life. It's got a kitchen. I'm pretty sure there's solar panels on the roof as well. Yes. Yeah. 
it's every everything that one person's sibling dex needs to yeah. sustain themselves. Yeah. Um, and more when Moscap adventures alongside them. Yeah. Another solarpunk feature is the self-sustaining communities. So each community have they have their own farms and basically they don't need the they they need less outside industrial help. Yeah, there's kind of like each town also has its own um tinkerers or makers. So yeah. towns might have specialities, but they mm-hmm. can often get everything they need from I think it, it's kind of implied like within a walkable distance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is really cool. And to me, the most interesting solar punk feature, which it's not, it's talked about a little bit, but I wanted to know more about it, uh, is the alternative economic system that they have. And they have this quote unquote currency called PEBS. And I've put that in quote, I've put currency in quotation marks because it's technically not, they, they don't like calling it a currency because it's not about money or wealth, but it's more a way of recognising others and help you've received from them or help you give to them. It, and I think it's more like giving somebody flowers or a handwritten card or receiving them as a way of acknowledgement. It's like a, it's like a formal-ish acknowledgement and, and a thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, the other interesting thing about it is that it ensures no poverty because it doesn't actually matter what balance you have. If you have no PEBS or a negative balance, it doesn't matter. People will still help you. The community recognises that it just means you need more help than others at that point. Yeah, and I love um, how PEBS are used not only in a uh, transaction point of goods but also uh, sibling decks as a tea monk sets up uh, a little tea stall and people come and they have tea and they talk about their problems mm-hmm. uh, and how they're going and they exchange pebs as, as a thanks and I think that really validates the act of community building and a lot of those uh, softer skills that are really important for humans that uh, often go under-acknowledged as labour. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. So this series... Highly recommend, very sweet, very wholesome, very philosophical. Yeah. And super important. And I don't think Ella and I want to say much more about it because we don't want to spoil it. We want you to go read it. If you want to borrow a copy, (laughs) let me know. (laughs) So that's probably the most, like I said, mainstream um, one that's explicitly solar punk but there are others which have not called themselves solar punk but i think people would be more familiar with and solar punk is a a genre and aesthetic kind of claims some of these too yes yeah so the first one are the um studio ghibli movies by miyazaki super solar punk aesthetics going on there the two movies that are often referenced as being part of solar punk are Lapita Castle in the Sky and also Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. So some of the solar punk elements in these include things like lots of greenery and vast natural landscapes depicted, hanging gardens and plant overgrowth on buildings, renewable transport like wind gliders and something my favourite part about them is that 
nature and the ecological landscapes are almost presented as a character themselves, which I think is super solar punk. Um, and that's also the case for robots and technology. So whether it's a robot or an airship or a building or a wind glider, a cat bus or something else, it's they're all their own characters and all equally important to the story. Yeah, their personification is very equalising. Um, even just as, you know, a lot of these films children really enjoy and for a child to see that, like, a bus is kind of a cat and that gives them um, similar value to humans, puts transport in humans and then hopefully also the environment on that equal playing field, which is what ideologically solar punk is all about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So in the in Miyazaki's world, nature and technology are definitely treated as equal in importance to human characters and spirits as well, because mm. that's also a very important part of Japanese storytelling. Culture. Yeah, storytelling, culture, literature, like this. Yeah, and I think in that way, those um, films and stories, yeah, we can summarize them as having not only. Uh, ideas that are that reinforce solar punk, such as the sustainable uh, transportation, but also their color palettes are rooted um, in the solar punk aesthetic. Yeah, completely. Unlike the next example, who I think the aesthetic isn't entirely solar punk, but I think the ideas are more there. Yes, yeah. So Black Panther, Whoa. in particular, the recent movies. When did they come out? Did the first one come out? Late 2020s, yeah. I want to say. Yeah, uh, 2019? Yes, maybe? around then. Okay, don't quote us on that. But it's relatively recent. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the sort of solar punk elements of Black Panther things uh, is mainly around the Wakanda country slash city because I think it's portrayed more as a, more as a city in the movie than a country country. I think in the books it's... I'm pretty sure, it, yeah, it is its own country. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so Wakanda features lots of high-tech and high-tech buildings that are integrated with nature for a sustainable look and feel. So, for example, it, it really embraces the mountains and water bodies as part of the architecture in mm-hmm. the area. So, in that way, it, it Wakanda works with the net natural landscape not against it and also the portrayal of Wakanda in the movies rejects this idea that humans and the natural environment are enemies instead it tells a story of people becoming technologically advanced while also restoring and maintaining a flourishing relationship with their surrounding natural environment sounds pretty solar punk to me yeah it does doesn't it and the final fiction example I have here is the Pokemon world. Whoa, is this a reference to our very first episode of the season? Yeah. Crazy. It is. And I feel like we might have brought up Solar Punk in that episode. I think we did from the very start. There's been a teaser. So in the Pokemon world, there is very much a coexistence with nature and priority of wilderness conservation as major themes, whether that's in 
the a show or the games or wherever wherever you've experienced Pokemon really. <laughs> Which is probably a lot of places. As yes. we discussed in episode one, it's a huge media empire. Yeah. Most people in the Pokemon world walk or bike everywhere or ride Pokemon. And there are actually only a few cars. Yeah, and lots of cities have or towns have uh yeah, transport to get you even up different levels that are accessible for like everyone, uh, which you often see in high futuristic cities in terms of speculative mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah, and I think in, in this way it's also similar to uh, Becky Chambers's series too, mm. with the, especially with the walking and riding to places. We've also got solar and wind energy used in various places. There's one movie that has wind energy as kind of like a whole line, which I is love where I first made this connection. So I love that. Sensational. Also, healthcare is free for everybody. And for your Pokemon. Yeah, and you can get it as often as you want. I'm the type of player who uh, heals up constantly <laughs> through the Poke Centers. So uh, shout out to Pokemon Free Health. <laughs> so this is, yeah, definitely part of the values of Solar Punk. So it's not just about the renewable technology, but it's also how are we treating our community. And there is also a cultural love of an appreciation for science coexisting with respect for cultural traditions and spirituality. Yeah, it's kind of this beautiful harmony where everything uh, coexists and coincides together and no one really questions why science and spirituality are both there sharing the stage. It's... It's just like beautiful and organic and it rolls and it's ah, wonderful. I love Pokemon. (laughs) So that's it for our fiction section, but we're going to move into a form of pop culture that I don't think we've talked about yet. And it's kind of left field. It's kind of left field. So yeah, I think, I think fiction is a really good one to start with because um, when you think of popular culture, fictional stories are often the first place our minds go to. Uh, This section is all about the popular culture media that where you might have seen solar punk um, in a category of food and beverages. Yes. So we're going to talk about um, some solar punk food and beverage advertising specifically that we've seen recently. And then we're going to talk a little bit about why food and beverages are aligning themselves with the solar punk ideology. And the first example um, we're going to touch on is, um, and this th- this is a mention of alcohol in case that's something that's not cool for you, but it's from this limited edition set of uh, Johnny Walker and there's a limited edition set of 10 uh, futuristic cities where they've commissioned an artist to imagine cities 100 years in the future and they've put that on a whole bunch of bottles of this beverage. One of the cities included is Australia's own Sydney, which is really cool because we love to be able to talk about something Australian in these episodes. There's also a bonus one for Mars, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> and we're not sure how we feel about um, Mars as Mars colonisation as solar punk. That's kind of... Yeah. Mm. That could be a whole episode. <laughs> um, so the imagery on these bottles, they aren't called solar punk. They're called Future Cities. 
but the imagery is very solarpunk. So we've got this domination of blue and green. We've got uh, the Sydney kind of waterscape as this gorgeous uh, white futuristic city where there's uh, skyscrapers with vertical gardens growing on it. There's lots of futuristic transportation. So we see lots of flying parts of transportation, lots of water-based transportation. We see lots of like shining lights that are kind of like a yellowy light. So uh, very associated with the solar punk genre. And this I, this I think is really, really interesting as to why an alcohol brand who are trying to establish themselves as a luxury brand have paired themselves with the aesthetic and ideals of a future city and of solar punk. A lot can be said about this, but even more can be said when we talk about this ad for Chobani. Oh, yeah, this yogurt ad. So this ad is prolific in the solar punk community. Um, so it, it's, I think, one minute and three second ad for Chobani that depicts this beautiful farmscape and this woman and the storytelling saying, all of this is yours now, as she, like, futuristically controls a machine that picks oranges and sends a daughter off to school in a beautiful futuristic school bus and they have like a gorgeous meal with all their family and yeah their their kitchen is cluttered and there's like letters on the fridge that are handwritten like it's it's very clear and they establish everyone has time for each other in this community technology and environment are very much in harmony um and again it's an advertisement for yogurt which is wild and the crazy thing is the solar punk community has loved this and adapted it so much that someone has gone through and removed all the Chobani branding from this advertisement and also all of the the narrative voiceover and instead replaced it with kind of like ambient noises to reflect the sounds of the machines and the the thrumming of the fridge uh, and the rustle of the leaves and the squawk of the birds yeah, because it's actually a really good portrayal of a solar punk world, despite it coming from a food ad. Yeah. Oh, and um, in the background of the of the narrative of the voiceover, there's this gorgeous piece of music. Yes. Yeah. So it actually features a musical score by a longtime Studio Ghibli composer, because it turns out solar punk music is a whole thing, as well which I haven't really listened to, but it's designed to blend futuristic slash sci-fi kind of sounds and glitchy noise pop with more gentle and ambient nature sounds and folk-inspired acoustic instruments, which is definitely what's going on in this advertisement. So I think one of the craziest parts about this is solarpunk as an ideology is advertising never features in solar punk worlds <laughs> because it, it, it's kind of like the community has gone past that point yes and yeah. people are only using what they need and advertising is often trying to sell you a solution to a problem you don't have mm-hmm. uh is you know in famous famous descriptions of advertising that i've probably stolen from the grow and transfer <laughs> <laughs> great show great show um also australian and i think when we talk about yeah, these alignments of Chobani and Johnny Walker with solar punk. Uh, it's almost a form of 
greenwashing. Mm. And it sits a little bit wrong. It's wild because alcohol consumption... Yeah. It's not good for humans. Well, I don't know how I feel about them putting that on an alcohol bottle and then them being like, look at this, drink this thing, and it will take you to this magical futuristic world. <laughs> like, It feels kind of a little bit like a casino. Yes, definitely. Um, and the other thing Isabel pointed out the other day with Chobani is that what does yogurt come in? Disposable plastic cups. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely a form of greenwashing. Maybe we can call solar punk washing. Yeah, definitely. I think solar punk is a subgenre of greenwashing in this instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's not a whole lot of examples of this, but we did think it was really important to bring up because uh, these are things and brands that you probably have an association with. Uh, so I think it's really good to think about why these brands want to pair themselves with the ideas of solar punk. And I think it actually does make sense for Brand Alliance um, on a surface level because the aesthetic of solar punk rather than the ideology has lots of parallels with health, it's green, it's good, it's natural, uh, it's going to get you to this future you that is better, this future place that is better. And of course those alliances in aesthetics um, and in motivations is also why it fails because these products aren't actually going to get us there. They're definitely more focused on the aesthetic of solar punk rather than the actual, well, rather than actually deeply engaging with solar punk and its values. Uh, which is which is super interesting because I wonder if in the future we'll see more alignment like this that might actually get us somewhere if a a brand values solar punk enough and the ideologies to use their brand as a movement towards a more solar punk future, which maybe there's an example of coming up. Maybe there is. So the next category we wanted to talk about was some interactive solar punk games. Oh, we love games. Which is, it, solar punk is becoming more and more popular in games, especially in the last I want to say in the last 12 months, there's been a significant rise. I'd say with the rise of cozy gaming, Solarpunk has found its own little niche here. And I'm here for it. I love it. I think it's a really novel way for people to engage with the idea um, without needing an intro podcast or a YouTube video. You can just jump straight into a game and it'll tell you kind of all you need to know because you're already interacting with that world. Mm, You would learn more about it that way. So one really interesting one was one Ella introduced me to which is a mobile app and also a Steam you can get it on Steam to called Terra Nil and the little blurb for it is an intricate environmental strategy game about transforming a barren wasteland into a thriving balanced ecosystem. So the game is all about rewilding and it has varying levels of difficulty and different starting biomes in need of restoration so essentially you're given a polluted wasteland and have to solar punk it up you should write their marketing copy that was great (laughs) let's solar punk it up (laughs) so to solar punk it up this includes using technology like wind turbines hydroponics toxin scrubble toxin scrubbers and calcifiers. So this sort of futuristic tech. And my 
fave, fave aspect is the decommissioning. Absolutely agree. Because you do not find this anywhere else. It's rare to see. And I think this is what makes the game solar punk. Yes. Like firmly solar punk. And what makes it unique, definitely. It's a, a decommissioning is a super in, super important step when we're finished with a technology or an infrastructure and a step that's often overlooked as well. So after you've finished restoring the environment and animal animals come back, you then have to sustainably remove all of the infrastructure you've used to do it and leave basically no trace that you were even there in the first place. And and you do this by recycling all of the material that you used and turning it into an airship so you can leave. So it feels like this game really deeply understands what it is to rewild an environment that has been, you know, brought to the brink of destruction by normally human activity and pollution. And it thinks of, I guess, a scientific approach, which is using these technologies to fix the environment, and then also thinks we've then brought these technologies to the environment. We need to get rid of them because for an environment to be wild, there shouldn't be this trace of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that is so well thought out and lovely, and I cannot speak enough praise for this game. Yeah, totally. So it's actually... You have to pay for it on Steam, but if you have a Netflix subscription, you can play it through your Netflix account. Which is wild, but um, yeah, I, they've done a really good job developing this. I actually find some of the levels really tricky. Oh yeah, yeah, it gets quite hard, <laughs> actually. <laughs> now I'm just wondering if this is Netflix aligning themselves with Solarpunk values. Hmm. Mm, more on that later. <laughs> so another game is a mobile app called Longleaf Valley, one that Ella has been playing recently. I downloaded it like a week ago. Yes, yeah, she did. So on the surface, this game seems like just another merge, merger game. Yeah. Um, But actually there's a lot more going on. So the game is inspired by the national parks of the western part of United States. And it's got a fun little eco storyline. So the description from the app store is Longleaf Valley is in danger when expert biologist Ash Williams discovers a national park ruined by unknown causes. She employs her powerful new serum to breathe life back into the landscape. All is not lost. With help from an eclectic cast of characters, Ash will uncover a nefarious plot while restoring the valley to its former glory. Merge seeds, leaves, and equipment to bring habitats back from the brink of destruction. Fulfill your objectives to grow new gestation and attract adorable otters, deer, and more to repopulate the park. This game, amazing. Eco storyline. I know you're thinking, Ella, okay, this is kind of like green aligned, but is it solar punk? Is this contributing to a more sustainable world? And I'd say, yes, the storyline gets there, but there's so much more. So a great functionality of this game um, that I was kind of alluding to earlier when brands align themselves with the solarpunk movement is that the more you play this game and the more achievements you collect, the closer you get to planting a tree in real life. Um, So you get real world impact by playing. 
um, and this is through their partner with the nonprofit um, NGO Eden Reforestation Project, uh, which funds sustainable forests throughout the world. So this is an actual legit charity. They didn't just partner with it for yeah greenwashing and nefariousness. Um, their brand alignment is really close to Solarpunk, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the values they have are, I think, pretty admirable for a game company to go out there and say straight off the bat. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm really stoked with it. It's so cool. Yeah, and I know that they say explicitly too that they believe that games can be used for good and help solve big threats like climate change. Yeah, and I think in 2023, it's really cool to see Mm. games straight up acknowledging this and saying, this is the threat, here is a solution. So that's kind of a wrap up on existing games. However, Isabel and I said there's a lot, a lot happening in this space. Mm. And those two games might not reflect it, but what does is the amount of games coming out that are being worked on, that are being promoted on social media, that there's a lot of buzz about. Um, And there's a few we're going to talk about here. So in December next year, 2024, so far away, there is this cozy, massive um, online multiplayer game called Lofita coming out. And this is, I, th- I think it's loftier. What did I say? <laughs> Lofita. Yeah, it's, <laughs> listen to Isabel. <laughs> loftier. Loftier, that's the game. It is coming out soon. And the makers of this world describe it, or describe Loftier as existing in a world where mankind is no longer at odds with their environment. Pretty solar punk. And the creators of this game also say that we believe that games have the power to make a positive change on ourselves, our environment, and our world. How cool. So um, this game is kind of like a crossing, a cross between Animal Crossing and Stardew Valley. Yes, totally. And there's a lot of feature of uh, farming equipment and energy systems. Uh, the energy systems include solar power, bioluminescent ivy, Oh, and flying fish wind turbines. <laughs> yeah, specifically flying fish wind turbines. They're very cutesy. It kind of leans more into that um, Studio Ghibli take on solar punk. Like it's a it's a cozy solar punk rather than like a clean city aesthetic solar punk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. Well, in that way, it's also probably more realistic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I kind of think of it as like. I kind of think of the cities as kind of like high solar punk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is like, yeah, cute, cute solar punk, comfy solar punk. There's another game coming out on Steam pretty soon uh, that is a survival game. And its name is actually just solar punk. Mm-hmm. So you could say they've aligned themselves with the idea. <laughs> uh, and this game takes part. Uh, place on a technically advanced world of floating islands uh, where either alone or together with a group of friends you can construct buildings grow food craft gadgets and explore the map with your own airship uh, which is pretty cool so again we see that focus on future technology on sustainable living um, and on community which is super hype and a new one that I found two days ago. 
oh, I, I saw it, I downloaded it, and I texted it to Isabel straight away. Uh, it's called Home Free. And this, again, is very similar to Stardew Valley, um, mainly in its aesthetics. It's very pixelized. Uh, and it is a farming technology and community simulator. And that is also coming out in the near future. I think they're currently um, developing the game, which is so cool to see lots of these solar punk. Oh. I guess like solar punk explorers is kind of how I'm viewing these games at the moment, how they're coming really, really soon to mm-hmm. platforms near you. And it's just the start as well. I think we're going to increasingly see more and more of this in pop culture and hopefully translating into real life too. Yeah, I think the more comfy people are with the idea of solar punk, the more that we can see that it's achievable, it's realistic and it's good, uh, the more resistance we have to dystopia views that I think have been in our cultural consciousness for, quite frankly, too long. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely feel like the solar punk aesthetic genre movement is becoming a def- almost defining part of our generation to in combating the dystopia dystopian visions of the future yeah I think as the generation that's been told like I can remember this even early primary school oh you're the generation who's going to fix everything yep. don't worry we've messed up the world but that's okay you're here to fix it being told that from age six is quite daunting um especially when everyone's like oh the future is going downhill we're gonna end up with a robotic chip in our head and we're all going to go down pretty much like a (laughs) cyberpunk dystopia. I think if the cultural consciousness becomes more aligned with this, it's actually going to make leadership in these areas a lot easier. Yes, very good point. And on that note, I think we should move into our individual sections. For the last time of season one. Oh my gosh. Okay, Isabel, I'm overcome. Please, please share with me your individual section. You thought we were done. We're not done. (laughs) (laughs) When are we ever done? So I actually wanted to touch a little bit on a critique of solar punk. Uh, Because, you know, being being a proper science communicator and researcher means considering both sides – so one of the main critiques of solar punk is that there is a loss of the individual and of self-reflection because there is a heavy focus on community, which there needs to be. Community needs to be considered. But both the individual and community are important. And this is actually uh, – this loss of the individual and self-reflection is is actually explored a little bit in the Becky Chambers Monk and Robot series because Dex is – fulfilled and has everything they need in a community sense but can't figure out why they're still unhappy in an individual sense and it's all it's touched on but you're not really given an answer either as to how they're going to solve resolve this conflict that they're this like inner conflict that they're having and there's this thing called lunar punk tell me more please which is presented as one solution and it's definitely something that is growing on me you thought solar punk was new this is even newer as in like a few years that's old. so cool so it's a it's a new movement slash genre that's 
increasingly being referred to as solar punk's sister and so it offers a frame or guide for the individual living in a solar punk world as solar punk philosophies are focused on community this gives a guide for the individual as well and i think you do need both they solar punk and lunar punk need to coexist so my interpretation and understanding that is quite limited of lunar punk is that it's about creating a sustainable self-awareness and sustainable sense of self and some people suggest through spirituality and this doesn't mean religion but spiritual connection in more of a folksy pagan sense with nature at the forefront lunar punk is actually also about nightlife you might have noticed that solar punk and the aesthetic is very bright and sunny. Yeah, absolutely. Daylight vibes. Mm. Lunar punk considers what is needed for a solar punk world to continue to thrive at nighttime as well. So that's exploring things like mimicking bioluminescence. Um, and I have a quote that I saw on social media by an unknown anonymous person, which I quite liked. And they said, Lunar punk is comprised of world-building details which are more ideal for introverted, quiet, isolated or self-reliant people. It doesn't mean an extroverted Christian isn't part of lunar punk or that someone who practices anything mentioned above isn't part of solar punk. But in terms of what defines lunar punk as a genre, you would be more likely to see small sects of persons devoting to the self rather than the other. And I think if we're staying true to solar punk, then there does need to be a balance between the individual and the community. And in that way, I view lunar punk as the yin to solar punk's yang. So the both can and probably should exist at the same time. Yeah, totally. And running out of time, um, but I think you might hear more about this in the future. <gasps> oh my goodness. <laughs> and in true... In true Ella style, <laughs> we are apparently going to end this season by me talking about X-Men First Class. Of course. How else were we going to end it? <laughs> so something that I think is very important in solar punk worlds and lo- solar and lunar punk worlds potentially is we're exploring as maybe the best alternative there is to our current system of living is solar punk normally involves ideas of both post-gender and post-humanism. So uh, we see post-gender in uh, Sibling Dex as part of the Monk and Robot series. So Sibling Dex, uh, they then pronouns. Gender isn't a huge part of the storyline. Yeah. Um, The robot in that series, it, it, Mm -hmm. um, lovingly and with embracement. So that's really cool. Yeah, and it doesn't like it when you try... To, to ascribe it gender. Yeah. Uh, so they they move beyond the gender, they're post-gender. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the movement of post-humanism is often used, and I think we might have spoken about it a little bit in our cyber-feminism episode. Mm-hmm. So it's where uh, we no longer view ourselves as wholly human. We are beyond description of human versus robot, where you can have, you know, cyborg elements to you, such as like a prosthetic limb or certain technologies inside your organic systems. So technological systems, organic systems living together, we are moving beyond the human in that way. With this being said, X-Men, 
as I think a story at its heart about uh, who are you when you are told you're not human and the group you are when you want to coexist with humanity but you're mutants, you're um, a different race, you've got you know, allegories to gender, allegories to uh, religion. What, what then for you? So I think we can really look at mutants as trying to look for somewhere where they can exist in a post-human world. And there is actually uh, this community that they build for themselves in some of the comics and also in the most recent uh, X-Men movie of the first class series. And the movie series does go downhill. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, rapidly. Oh. Uh, three and four, not good. I don't recommend, apart from, to get a glimpse of the paradise for mutants, Genosha. Mm-hmm. The idea is if Genosha can exist on its own and be a country where mutants are recognised as having the same rights as other humans, the world itself will become post-human because we look past what makes us human, what doesn't, and just embrace living and I guess kind of unfortunately still kind of humanoid figures as being of value. Whereas I think true soul punk looks at all beings, all technology, all environments as sharing similar value. But I think, yeah, the X-Men idea of Genosha actually is the strongest tie that the series has to solar punk. It's a community built from the ground up or sometimes the energy depictions are from mutants who can you know, use their powers as a pretty much sustainable form of energy. There's lots of trades and skills because of people's innate powers and skills that help establish this community. So really, really focused on the community side of it. And they do have to live a lot of time in harmony with their environment. Mm. Um, And they often have to use, yeah, technology to keep actual humans away when they're establishing themselves and sometimes that technology is mutant power but I just think that this is a really interesting uh parallel to solar punk and potentially who knows if future versions of this comic and this story may take Genosha in more of a solar punk movement as the world kind of looks at that as like a saving thought and as a utopian thought and that's the end. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Ella. I had no idea that, well, I mean, I don't know much about X-Men, but that's interesting that there is actually quite a lot of solar punk elements in it. I would say so. But to be honest, like, am I looking for it? Yes. But True. I do think <laughs> the more you look for solar punk parallels in media, the more you'll find, because I think... Or in real life, because when we were planning this episode straight afterwards, we were walking through the university campus and I was like, huh, we're kind of solar punk here. (laughs) We're kind of on our way. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I I think there are a lot of places in the world and university campuses is just one example that have potential, Ella's (gasps) favourite word, to be solar punk and even to lead the change. Yeah, walkable city, community oriented. A lot of universities are going pretty well in sustainably in being sustainably energized. Yeah, I think once the ideology catches up, 
the the systems are potentially there in place to make it all happen. So much hope for the future. What a good way to end season one. Yeah. And I think we should leave our audience with some questions, as we always do. Listeners, we would love to know where you've seen or experienced solar punk in pop culture and maybe in real life too. Would you also like a solar punk future? I think it's clear we would, but ha- have we swayed you or were you already swayed? Is it something you're already thinking about? Mm. And I guess bonus question, speaking of the future, listeners, what would you like to see in future content, uh, in future episodes and in future seasons of Cyburst? We are coming back and we'd love to know your suggestions. Mm-hmm. Please let us know on all your favourite social media platforms at Cy underscore Burst or via our Gmail, CyBurstPodcast at gmail.com. And though this is our final episode of season one, we've made it. We have very, very exciting things planned for season two. Oh, it's already in the works. Don't worry about it. And we will be posting some fun things on our socials in the meantime. So if you want to catch up on any uh, generalist or specialist resources, if you want to uh, interact with us, if you want to see our ideas of where we're going mm-hmm. um, ahead, follow our socials. They're the place to be. Yeah, we're still going to be very active online. Stay tuned. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy, everybody. And we'll see you in season two. See you in season two of Cybers. Thank you so much for listening to season one. Thank you to ANU CPAS for their support and access to their podcast studio.